At the counter of the Big Ant Pharmacy, Reiko Yamada looked up at the customer entering. It was Amekawa-san, in his spoiled suit and carrying his antique umbrella and rotted Belize. Reiko turned to the curtain behind her. Are you there? She said. Here, said a raspy voice. The pharmacy owner, Fujiko Suzuki. Fujiko-san was a burn victim who refused the public. He's here, Amekawa-san. Do we have paper this morning? I'll prepare the paper. Reiko went back to arranging flowers. Today she wore a fisherman knit sweater, and her washed hair was as radiant as flaxseed. Could you tell Fujiko-san that the Ota River is off limits, said Amekawa-san. The shop owners have finally sent down the police. They don't like the smoke from the burning. Through the alley, there's a spot there, came the reply from behind the curtain. You're losing your marbles. And then Amakawa-san heard laughter. What am I losing? He said to Reiko. Reiko frowned. He was too near again. She could smell his garlic. Are there no prospects for a husband? Reiko-chan. Good always gets matched with good, said Amekoa. I don't believe that. At all. The bell jangled and a westerner entered. He was the same that Amekawa-san had seen enter Café Eventos. He wore a tie, a suit, and a long, loose scarf. Reiko smiled at him, spoke English to him. Amekawa-san stepped towards the door, and the man held it for him. What about the paper? Reiko said to Amekawa-san. But Amekawa did not reply to her. He spoke English, his one English line to the foreigner as he stepped past. Nice to meet you, too. The foreigner bowed, held the door. The bell tinkled behind Amekawa-san. On the slippery street, he moved towards Motoyasu Bridge. The snow floated downwards. Pedestrians had their umbrellas up. But on the bridge, it was less crowded. The car traffic had eased. Amekawa-san went to the bench in Peace Park, the bench that was near the exiting foot traffic 
of Motoyasu Bridge, the south side. You there, he called at last, out to the same foreigner that he had seen in the pharmacy. Amekawa stood, waved his hand, came out to the bridge, and Randall stopped on his bike. He looked at the old man. He bowed. It was the same, the same man that he and Hart had seen on the bridge, he and Stephen, looking lost, confused, the same from the pharmacy as well. Do not upset the people in there, said Amikawa-san in Japanese. Consider this a warning. I've upset someone, said Randall, also in Japanese. So, you speak Japanese. I know Reiko-san, said Randall. What's your name? I will keep an eye on you. Pardon? Amikawa stared ahead then. Sir, said Randall, are you all right? Amikawa-san walked off and Randall watched him go, the old man of Peace Park, what he and Hart called him. The teachers knew of this guy, a survivor, a bomb survivor. But that might not be true. Randall continued. He rode down the cycle paths through the park. So, the old man knows Reiko. Well, Reiko must know him. The city is a village. I feel suffocated. I feel that I'm being watched. But any foreigner feels that here. Randall passed under the eucalyptus trees. He had always seen him alone on the bridge, on the curb, stuck, his eyes watery. One symptom of radiation sickness was confusion. I must ask Oreko about him. Perhaps they're related. Amikawa-san was back on the bridge. He put out a hand, looked up at the sky. No rain, no snow, no hail, no sleet. The clouds, they were clearing in the sky west. That foreigner spoke Japanese like a professional. He must have a television job. How did he learn? A snowflake floated down. Amikawa put out his tongue. He walked to catch it. A woman and a child got out of his way. The woman guided the child's eyes from the scene. Oh, that crazy man, she muttered, taking as wide a berth as she could with the child. But then she stopped and turned and called out, You're always here. You step in people's way. Amekawa-san bowed and then moved across Motoyasu Bridge toward Peace Park. 
But he stopped at the bridge end, and he looked into the inky water. Hiroshima's poetic name was Metropolis of Water. Seven delta branches flowing past six islands. A Toyota applied its horn. Emikawa had stepped into the lane. He turned and struck the car door with his umbrella. I'm on foot, you fool. Can't you see this? But then he checked right away. He did not see the police. Get off the road unless you want to die, the motorist said. There was the sound of the car horn, and then the car drove off. Amikawa-san searched for the police. He saw none, and then he hurried into the park. He went to the bench below his favorite camphor trees. The squid man was out, selling squid balls. People milling about near his cart. Amikawa-san looked through the branches back toward Motoyasu Bridge. She might never come. I'm getting old. He touched his pocket. But when you do arrive, Sayuri-chan, I have this. He took from his pocket a tiny box. Its velvet corners were rubbed off. But then he put the gift back in his pocket and he undid the snap of his valise. He took out the manuscript and searched and he found the chapter about the ring and then he began to read to himself. Wartime, 1945, July. The rain spilled from the roof of the Kabe jewelry shop. Amikawa stood across the lane in the shelter of a roof, a roof belonging to a sake shop. He was waiting for the squall to pass, also for the courage to cross the road and enter the shop. But then he stopped resisting and he crossed the street. Ah, welcome and good morning, said the lady inside. Oh, this rain. It's coming down so hard. Amikawa gave a slight bow. Her tone sounded gossipy, busybody-ish. I need a diamond, he said. For marriage, really? How old are you? Is it true? The young are doing that now? He stood at the counter and he waited. She showed him an array of diamond rings, and he chose the first one that she pointed out. This one, he said, and she looked at him. Did she tell you that the moon was beautiful? Emikawa knew what she was getting at. The expression, it was a roundabout way of saying, I love you. It's for my mother, he said, and the woman studied his face. Oh. Amikawa had taken the train from Hiroshima to Kabe, to a place where no one knew him. Maybe this woman had a husband in the war, or a son in the war.
Could you wrap it, he said. Of course a gift must be wrapped. An unwrapped gift is not valid, but not me. My fingers have arthritis. We have a girl who wraps, but she's at the hospital this morning with stomach trouble. Her husband is with the troops in Burma. But you didn't even ask the price. I'll take it, but I'll come back when it's wrapped. Everyone is in such a hurry at wartime, she said. But wait, that's not true. That's not true at all. Emikawa bowed and then left the shop. Outside, he took a deep breath. Rain poured off roof tiles and made channels in the street. This generation, he said, the adults, always trying to learn your business. Sayuri and I will run away. We will buy a farm in Kyoto. Her people are from there. We will see this rain from the doorway of our home. Forget them, that generation. Amikawa's parents had found him a girl from a good family. Emiko was her name. But a foot patrol eyed him as Amikawa stood under the eave of the sake shop. He bowed, then entered the shop. He bought cigarettes and matches and sake. When he came out, the foot patrol was gone. A bridge was not far off. Amikawa walked towards it. And when he came to it, he climbed down under. And then below, he stood on gravel and sand, sheltered by the bridge as rain from his hair rolled down his cheeks and into his throat. There was a battering sound down here. The rain above, it pounded the bridge surface. And the current below was swollen and brown. This was the Ota, he thought, the river that supplies Hiroshima. But into the hills beyond, above, were columns of rain climbing the mountains. He heard cooing in the girders of the bridge. And he breathed the strong moving air that was down here. It was taking his breath away. He looked into the bridge recesses, the darkness, where it met the bank. And he moved there. He found dry wood and built a fire tossing the plastic wrap from his cigarettes into it. His eyes adjusted and he saw a collection of cigarette boxes and discarded sake cups. Other ring buyers, perhaps? He sat, drank his sake, and listened to the pigeons roost. He breathed in the rushing air. Ah, no! He was back on the bench. He dropped the manuscript. He was in Peace Park, and a pigeon had shat on his head. He got off the bench, tried to pull at his suit's shoulder to look for excrement. I'll get you, he said, looking into the trees, showing his fist. A woman was passing. Amaikawa went to her, put his thumb over his shoulder. Did he get me fully? The woman shook her head and moved on. What? I'm asking you, he 
he did not pursue her. He took off his jacket and he looked and he saw the mush. More was in his hair. He beat the suit jacket on the bench and then saw a break in the fabric. Oh, a pair of pigeons were at the squid man's trash can, one making his circular strut. Amikawa ran to them. There was drumming, whirl, a flourish, and the birds flew off. The squid man looked at Amikawa-san, but the rain had started. He collected his manuscript. (laughs) 